Thank you, Joseph, and a pleasant good morning to all of you. First, I want to wish each of you happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. It seems like we are nearing the end of 2020, and I think the most of us are happy that we're down to the point that maybe 2020 is going to be leaving us. This is a beautiful day, and I appreciate the songs that have been selected in our singing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world, as recorded in all four of the Gospels, to make a difference in our lives and to make a difference in our destinies. Will you pray with me? Our Holy Father, we are grateful to you today that we have this opportunity to be here in worship. We are here to praise you as the Almighty God. We are here to praise you as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are here to thank you for our redemption that has been made a reality through Jesus Christ. And we are here to thank you for the hope that we have, for the hope that now is, and for the promise of the life that is to come. O God, we are grateful, and we are thankful. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for his coming, for his atoning death, for his triumphant resurrection, and for the assurance that we have that although this world is not our home, that we have a destiny with you. And we are grateful, our Father, for that. Our Father, as we come before you today as a congregation, we pray that you will find in each of us grateful hearts. We pray that you will find in each of us the desire and the longing above all else to be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray that you will find in us the desire to be the church that you would have us to be in this community, a church that honors Christ, a church that involves its people in the work of ministry and in the serving of the Lord. And we pray, Father, as we move forward and leave this year behind us, that you will lead us into a year that is much better and more meaningful and will be to your glory. Lord, as we come today, we also pray as you have taught us to pray. We pray for our country and for our leaders throughout the country, on the local level, on the state level, and on the national level. Our Father, we pray that all of those who are in leadership will take this as a stewardship and understand it as a stewardship. And as we read in your word that they are your servants, your ministers, to carry out the order, the good order, in our world. And help us to be good citizens. And help us, Father, to be involved in the works that bring glory and honor to your name. Again today, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. This is a joyful time of the year. It's a joyous time of the year. Despite the fact that we have had setbacks, 
We have had lockdowns. I think that we can today rejoice. You know, joy, the joy of the Lord, is not something that is dependent always on all the external circumstances being right. It is the joy of the Lord within our hearts. And we can be joyful today. So as we think in terms of this day, we can count our blessings and we can be grateful for our blessings. But as we think also of this time of the year and our blessings, it also reminds us of the fact that we are a people of need. We need. What is it that we need? The Lord is mindful of our needs. Had the greatest need been for technology, no doubt the Lord would have sent a scientist that would have made all the difference in the world. If the greatest need had been for money, no doubt the Lord would have sent an economist, the greatest economist in the world. If the greatest need had been for pleasure, I'm sure the Lord would have found a way to send an entertainer that would have brought us pleasure. But you know those are not our greatest need. The greatest need that we have, let's never forget it, the, the greatest need that we have is forgiveness of our sins and the ability to stand right before God. And because that is the greatest need that we have, the Lord sent a Savior. The Lord sent a Redeemer. Because we need a Savior, God came among us. Let's remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we learn that the Word is Jesus Christ. And we learn further, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. When we think about the Word becoming flesh, it brings up the word incarnation. Because incarnation means in the flesh. So as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus entering into the world, it is the account of his incarnation of one who became flesh, full humanity. And this, as we've said, we find in the synoptic Gospels, all of them telling us something about that beginning, and as well, what we've just shared with you from the first chapter of John. But our text today is from Matthew 1. And I'd like for you to keep your Bibles open to that, and we're going to keep some of it on the screen as we go along. Because I think Matthew 1 is such a great text for us at this time. As you, as you come into the passage that's there in verses 18 through 25, you see that it has, is preceded by the first 17 verses, obviously so. But in those verses, Matthew has given the genealogical line from Abraham down to the time of Jesus. He's writing to Jewish people, and they were very concerned about correct genealogy. Go back to the book of Second Chronicles, or First Chronicles, for example. And here he shows definitely 
that Jesus has the proper credentials because of his being a descendant from Abraham. And so uh, he's very careful to distinguish between the records of every one of those individuals down to the time of the birth of Jesus. So you read something like this, that Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it. But that's, that's the way that it goes. He was the father of. He was the father of. He was the father of. But now look what we find when we come down to uh, verses 16 and 17. The father of Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Notice the distinction. It is, in the original language, a feminine pronoun. These others trace their heritage back to the father. The father begat this, and the father begat this one, this one, this one. But, when you come to the birth of Jesus, it is Mary of whom Jesus was born. So we, right up front, are told something about the very nature of this individual who has come into the world. As we look over this passage today, I want to care, share with you a thought or two that come from it. And what we see coming out of it that I think is appropriate for this time of the year and appropriate for us always is rejoicing in the significance of the incarnation, the coming of Christ in the flesh. Why do we rejoice in the incarnation? Two thoughts that I want you to see that come out of these verses as the basis for joy in the incarnation. Gratitude that Jesus came. First of all, you see, as the account is given, that the coming of Jesus was by means of physical birth into the world. Now, I suppose that the Lord could have just sent him full grown, however, or sent him by some other means, but he came into our world by means of birth. And that is pointed out by the gospel writer Matthew as a very significant event because he is identified as being a son of his mother Mary. Mary is described a little further in one of the other gospels as a very spiritually minded woman. But Matthew shows that Mary is the mother, but he does not identify Joseph as the father. Let's remember that. Mary is the mother. Joseph is not the father. It said that they were betrothed. That's something a little bit unusual for us to grasp. We know about engagements, don't we, Emily? We know about engagements. We know about marriage. But betrothal is actually neither engagement nor marriage. It is a kind of legal contract that the couple enter into. They do not live together during this period of time, but they are bound to each other legally, actually, until the day of the wedding. But she was betrothed to Joseph. Notice I said they were not living together, but they discover that Mary is with child. Wow, 
Now, Jewish law was very stern. You go back to the book of Deuteronomy, and you find that this breaking of this vow was a very concerning matter. And Joseph finds that she is with child. Now, the point that I want to make here, however, is that this is the normal means of the beginning of human life. So Jesus came into our world, just like all the rest of us do, by means of a physical birth. But Matthew points out a distinction between him and us. Because you and I can look to a father and a mother, and they can look to a father and a mother. But we're told here in this case that the conception was by means of the Holy Spirit, that she was a virgin. And we are reminded that this is not anything, not a new thought, rather, because in the book of Isaiah, in chapters 7 and 8, at a very critical and crucial time in the history of Judah, being threatened by both the northern kingdom Israel and the kingdom of Syria, and thinking about allying with, of all people, the Assyrians, the prophet Isaiah is warning the king, don't do this, Ahab, don't line up with those Nazis. That's really what the Assyrians were. Because the Lord's going to give you a sign. You, you won't let me, you won't ask for one, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you, that a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, you'll call his name Emmanuel. Notice Emmanuel that is found here in Isaiah 7. And then as you move on into chapter 8, the presence of God among his people is again described as Emmanuel. So you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a very important matter for us to be keeping in mind then, that there is no earthly father. Mary, in verse 16, Mary of whom was born Jesus. Not Joseph, the father, as all of the other accounts in the genealogy up to this point. But Mary of whom was born Jesus. And further, before they came together, you understand what that means. And here, to Joseph, Joseph is told by the Lord, don't fear, don't be afraid. For what is taking place is from the Holy Spirit. So there is a Holy Spirit conception. Sometimes we read uh, here of the virgin birth of Jesus. Really, that's a misnomer. His birth was as natural, natural physical birth. But it was a virginal conception from the Holy Spirit. Now, here in these verses then we are learning that this incarnation, the coming of this child in the flesh, demonstrates that he will identify with human experience. I want us to stop now and think about that. The very Son of God coming in the form of human flesh, not ceasing to be the Son of God, but coming in human flesh. What does that mean among us? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
So if you and I had been living in Israel at the time of the coming of Jesus, we would have seen Jesus, a man, much like the rest of you, except he would have been speaking Hebrew, I suppose, then you don't. But he would, we would see him as a man. Now, what we discover from that is that that's not just a coincidence. Because he came in that form that he might identify with us. And I like to think of what is stressed in the writing of Hebrews in chapter 2. We're told that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He was made like us. He came in human form. The human form, the human likeness, the human personality that you and I have. He may be made to be like his brothers in every respect that he might become a faithful high priest. Now he's going to, he's going to be pleading our case, but he becomes a high priest made like us. But I like this statement that I want to share with you. In order that he might propitiate, make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was made like us, that he might take our place, bear our sins in his body on the tree. And so, Jesus Christ is altogether unique. Now notice the word unique. He is altogether unique. Now what do I mean when I say he is altogether unique? Number one, Jesus Christ is fully God. Number two, Jesus Christ is fully man. You say, well, I never heard of anything like that. Of course you haven't, because he's the only one. That's what I mean when I say he is unique. Fully God, fully man, as stressed all the way through Scripture. He is as divine as his Father God. He is as human as his mother Mary. And so he is a heavenly child with an earthly mother. He is an earthly child with a heavenly father. Truly unique. And that's what this passage is reminding us today. I said there are two important thoughts that I wanted to share with you. Yes, he is altogether unique. But why? Why did he come? Why did Jesus enter into our world like this anyway? Why Jesus? Why this incarnation? All right, that's brought out as well here in our passage. When we ask that question, we find from this passage that it is the means of a divine revelation. Okay, what do you mean by that? A divine revelation. Notice, you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, we have a lot of people who have the name Manuel, but actually the word should be Emmanuel. And there is a significance about that word, because, and it, the, the meaning of it is given in the passage. For just a moment, Emmanuel, notice the last syllable, L, E-L. That is the Hebrew name for God. And then, Imanu. 
Uh, M with. Manu, us. God with us. So here is the revelation of God among us. God with us. And that's the significance of that name that was given here, uh, that uh, was uh, ascribed to him as given to, uh, to Joseph. Let me just say one other word about that. You say, well, he wasn't called Emmanuel. That's a description. That's a description. Just like the name Solomon was given to a child born to Bathsheba and David, but he's actually called Jedidiah, which means one loved of God. That's, a, that's really a description. So, revelation. But then further, his coming is significant because it is the means of our salvation. Notice what is stated here in the, the text before us. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Jesus comes through the Greek to us. You remember in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Joshua? That comes to us from the Hebrew in which the Old Testament was written. But the Joshua of the Old Testament is the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. So think about that for a moment. In the Hebrew, his name is Yoshua, that is Joshua. And we think of Joshua in the Old Testament as the one who led the people of Israel into the land. In the letter to the Hebrews, this is described as the rest that God had given them. And Jesus, our Joshua, leads us into the heavenly rest, the writer of Hebrews describes. So, his name suggests Savior. He's given this name. Savior. And further, his work is that of salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is written in an emphatic way. It could have simply been said, he will save his people from their sins. But it was written in such a way that it's like this. He, yes, he, not someone else, he will save his people from their sins. And that's why we'll hear the apostles saying there is salvation and no other name than in the name of this one, Jesus Christ. He will save his people from their sins. So he is the founder of our salvation and leads us into the promised rest. Call his name Jesus, Savior. So think about what this is saying to us today. Jesus shows us the way to the Father. Now, I've not talked about the actual specifics in the birth of Jesus as described in Luke. And so often we simply think of Jesus as that little innocent baby lying in a manger, and indeed he was. But we need to look beyond that. That was the beginning of what his incarnation would be about. And so today, what do we see in Jesus? Jesus, born of Mary, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit, coming according 
to the long-standing purpose of God. What do we see in Jesus? Here's what we see in Jesus. In the first place, we see what God is like. Now, the writer of the Gospel of John says, No one has ever seen the Father. That is, in the sense that we look upon each other as we're looking at one another today. No one has ever seen the Father. But this one, and he calls him God only, that he is fully God. He has explained to us, he has demonstrated to us, what the Father is like. And at the end of his ministry, when one of the disciples would ask, Lord, show us the Father, Jesus would respond by saying, Have I been with you three years and you've not seen him? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's not saying that the Father and the Son are the same. It's saying when we see what Jesus is like, we see what God is like. What is Jesus like? Well, I think we can sum it up in a statement that Paul has mentioned in his letter to the Romans when he said, Behold, the goodness, the mercy, the grace, and the severity of God. Jesus could be very severe in regard to sin, hypocrisy. Jesus is the shower and the giver of mercy and grace to those who will come to him. One other thought that I want to share with you as well. I think all of us recognize that we have brokenness about us. We're not always like we would like to be, are we? Are you always exactly what you think you ought to be? Do you come up to that standard always? I think the most of us would say there is a brokenness about us that makes us not to be fully whole, if I can put it that way. There is a fracture about us. We have been torn. But now, I like to think of Jesus. The writer to Colossians is saying some of the same things that we've been talking about this morning. You work through the first chapter. But then in the second chapter, he reminds us concerning Jesus that the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. That's what we were saying a while ago. Fully God, fully man. The fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. Then, listen to this. In that same passage, and you have been filled in him. That's where we find our wholeness in Jesus Christ. So today, let's rejoice fully in God. Let's rejoice in Jesus. How are we to regard this season, the birth of Jesus? Well, fascinating story. Yeah, that's the way it is with some. The basis for a commercial enterprise, there are only five Christmas shopping days left. Commercial enterprise. No, how shall we regard this? Let me share with you as we bring this to a close.
the attitude that this old man Simeon showed in Luke, the second chapter. When we today think of the birth of Jesus, let us say with Simeon, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Glory for your people Israel. We see in Jesus Christ how we can be right with God. One who is fully God entered into our world by means of physical birth. I don't know what date it was. I really am not concerned about what date of the year it might have been. The important thing is that he came. And he came as fully God and took on himself full humanity. And he went to the cross. And after the cross, he could say of you and me in our relationship with him, Behold I and the children that God has given to me. That's what this is about today. Behold, I and the children of God whom he has given to me. Are you in that relationship with him? That's the important thing today. That relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we close this day, we urge you, we invite you, we encourage you to think of your relationship with him. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior. And all who come to him will not be ashamed, but can have the forgiveness of their sins. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent, therefore, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, under the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? While together we stand and sing.